0: Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Thank you so much. Leave a review. I wanted to also thank my sponsors who make this show possible. The first one is Viva Sight Vault. Absolutely free. By the way, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. Viva Sight Vault. If you are a site and you wanted to dip your toe into going digital and for e-rec and to start messing around with e-signatures, this is the way to go. They are the biggest name in our industry from a tech vendor standpoint. They're site-centric. They make this easy for us, guys and gals, and it's absolutely free. Sites.viva.com. Check it out. I use it. I also use Versatrol, which is my next sponsor. Versatrol has made my life so easy as a coordinator from an organization standpoint. Links to all these portals are in one easy place. You can literally link to anything you can think of, whether it's a protocol or it's the latest informed consent form or it's the IRT or it's the vendor to upload this or the other vendor to upload that. It's all there in one easy place not to mention they do a lot on the feasibility side which makes feasibility surveys a breeze check it out this is a company that is going places versatile my next sponsor is creo i've been using creo for years they are e-source and e-reg and ctms and patient database and e-consent and so many more other things and while they are not free I definitely think it is worth the price for what you are getting. It has streamlined my research studies and my site, and I got all my coordinators trained on it, and I could not picture running my site without Creo. So check it out. Link in the show note. Finally, Inato, a free service for business development. Go figure. Link in the show note. It makes Figuring out what studies you want easier. It makes figuring out what you're going to get if you accept the study super simple. And it really streamlines the process for knowing what's out there on the market. You can use it for as many investigators as you have. And again, it's absolutely free in Nato. Also in the show notes are links to the businesses I own. Specifically, DSCS, where we help sites get studies, do their contracts, help you with surveys, anything else you can think of. A shoulder to cry on, low monthly fee, and then we have the CRA, CRC Academies, and everything else. Live, 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 live. Guru Nation, this is a special event sponsored by Creo. Right? Creo's at DIA right now. Talking about probably this very thing, which is how to increase participation in clinical research from a study participation level, from a workforce development level. We've got members of Latinos in clinical research on, black women in clinical research. We've got someone from Yuma Clinical Trials that actually uses Creo on a daily basis. That's why I had Daisy come on. And we can just get into like a conversation on the differences, the similarities between the different minorities that do participate in research from a study participation perspective and from a workforce development perspective. So let's just go around real quick. Um, int- everyone introduce themselves and then we'll we'll get into the first topic. Ashley Margo? All
1: right. Yeah. Uh, my name's Ashley Margo, one of the co-founders of Latinos in Clinical Research and the University of Clinical Research. Um, and very soon to be uh, sponsor CRA. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Congrats. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Sponsor side. And then uh, how about you, Daisy?
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Daisy. Um, I'm a clinical research coordinator at Yuma Clinical Trials. Um, I started back in January of this year, so about six, seven months now. and. yeah, I'm enjoying, enjoying everything, the whole process, learning a lot of information, and working with Dan is always fun.
3: <laughs> I'm going to have a dull moment. <laughs> moment. <laughs> Tyson here, Daisy is a former student from the CRC Academy,
0: That's right. <laughs> yes. And a member of Latinos and Clinical Research. Yes. Occasionally, she comes in. <laughs> uh, Judy Galindo?
4: Yes, hi, everyone. Um, so Judy Galindo, also co-founder of Latinos and Clinical Research, Um, University of Clinical Research, Clinical Research Circle, but I'm also a site co-owner, executive director of Sun Valley Research Center, um, located in a large Latino community in Imperial County, California. Uh,
0: Monica Cuitiva.
3: Okay, my name is Monica Cuitiva. I'm one of the co-founders of Latinos in Clinical Research, the Clinical Research University, the Clinical Research Circle, and also, a co-owner of Clarity Clinical Research in Los Angeles, California.
0: And last but not least, Jasmine Barnes.
5: Hi, everyone. I'm Jasmine Barnes. I am a CRA2 at a CRO, and I am the Brand Ambassador Leader for Black Women in Clinical Research and based in North Carolina. Yay!
0: Thank you, guys. (laughs) Maybe the first thing we'll talk about, because we have minority groups on, Latinos and African-Americans. Let's talk about DCT guidance, okay? It was recently released. The whole purpose of this, at least on the surface, we can get into the real reason. There's a lot of theories. But on the surface, no one can argue. It's to increase the diversity, and and really the selling point is access to clinical research through some tools and technology that are developed or are developing. Do you guys... Think that this is something that uh, is working?
4: (laughs) No. No. Definitely not.
0: (laughs) All right. And why? Let's get into those reasons.
4: So, I think I would say, on my perspective, being a site co owner and seeing um, working on various trials, um, children, adolescents, adults, outpatient studies, um, we have used electronic diaries patient reported outcome measures electronically, um, different things like that, I guess to that extent for patients, caregivers, and they don't seem to work well. Something's wrong with the technology, something's wrong with the device, maybe there's an internet issue, it's not uploading, it doesn't sync. And so it's more of a burden on the participant, the family, the caregiver, and our site staff to figure this out and to get the information we need. And we spend a lot of time And if they're not completing it, if they miss these entries, then it's just easier, honestly, to give them a piece of paper and have them do it on a piece of paper that we can collect at each visit. That's my perspective. Um, That's our experience. Um, I think with all the technology out there, we haven't found the easiest way that these systems can be used with participants. Um, We're still giving participants another device, like another phone or another diary on top of what they already have. Why can't they just download an app? I know with some studies they have that, but most studies it's like an additional item they have to carry. So it just makes it harder for them to do that.
0: And more more patient burden. Mm -hmm. Um, What about you, Jasmine? What do you think is the DCT tech stuff working?
5: I agree with Judy on this one. Um, in my experience, a lot of times the patients, something ends up having, happening with the technology or if we give them, like let's say, a paper um, document that gets lost or you know thrown in the trash. So I feel like, again, we have to figure out how to make it simpler but also useful because technology is a great thing, but on the flip side, there's a lot of issues that come with it that we can't naturally uh, resolve as quickly, like if the device freezes up. We can't do anything about it on our end, so it has to be escalated to somebody.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. We'll get to it right now. Hannah Carney, welcome from Creo. My apologies for not sending you the link. I sent it to Stephanie, <laughs> who's in DIA right now.
6: No That's worries. She's Thanks for getting on. me so, at it. You want to
0: introduce yourself, Hannah?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Um, nice to meet you all. My name is Hannah Carney. I am one of the senior CSMs at Creo. I'm super excited to get here, be here. I'm sorry I'm late and missed the first few minutes
0: uh my fault but okay so i have a meme for this but i have like some angry thoughts about this as well so the dct guidance that just got published it didn't just get published like it didn't fall out of the sky like people wrote it people i'm assuming picked other people's brains i hate that term but the the, i'm guessing that's what happened uh, consortium I, of unnamed people wrote it and submitted it. Did you guys anyone from Black Women and Clinker Research get contacted for their input on DCT guidance?
5: Not to my knowledge. So I'm going to say uh, <laughs> a,
0: a, Okay, that's not surprising. And then uh, LICR, anyone? Nope. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly asking for a dramatic effect. I don't expect yes. <laughs> so that's my whole point. Is like the same people, they're pushing this guidance. The goal is diversity. Wouldn't it be good to get like opinion of someone?
4: From the diverse groups. From the groups? Exists. It's not like we're hiding.
0: Black right. women in clinical research is not hiding. <laughs> Latinos in Clinker research are not hiding. You see them. I see you guys on the LinkedIn feed all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, So I just find that interesting. Um, But tech is important. Like there Mm -hmm. are tools that we use. Creo, we use every day. Uh, E-consent and various things like that, that Creo provides that helps the workforce out. It helps deficiencies, efficiencies, but it really doesn't do anything at like from a macro level when it comes to increasing access to clinical research. Like that's not really Creo's job. Creo's job is to make site work easier. But these DCT tools are like pushing out in the into the community, but they're not really getting feedback from the users of it or the target market.
3: Yeah, what, what that tells me is that they have been creating all of this without thinking about the community. In reality, they have been creating this thinking about their own technology or their own little um well, this is going to sound a little bit harsh, <laughs> maybe the little bubble that they have, yeah. and, and they need to go outside that bubble to make it more uh, achievable, I guess, or more um, easy for the communities out there if the intention is truly to bring diversity and give more um, give more, or, or expand the opportunity uh, to reach people that otherwise would not have um, access to this. So I think uh, that's probably the 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 biggest mistake, the approach or the, the that that they have been uh, thinking about. Mm, I mean, obviously, this is only assuming um, in regards to what the, the 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 guidelines that were released.
1: Yeah, and you know what, I'd like to say that based on your first question, Dan, about we you know why why not DCT? What's what not working with it? I mean. I think one of the biggest issues is just the fact that it comes back to, um, you know, the minority groups, at least the language, the the minority groups that have language barriers, right? We still just on the, you know, basis of research have those issues already Just still have those issues with just um, patient recruitment translation documents, like, you know, just, you know, what we've been having for right now, and this is not, this is prior to this, you know, boom with te- technology. So it's, you know, I hearing that, knowing that they've already formulated all this and they haven't even reached out to minority groups such as Black Women in Clinical Research, especially them because, you know, you guys have been around, I think, a year or two years longer than LICR. Um, so, you know, it is upsetting to hear these kinds of things because, you know, they say, you know, why reinvent the wheel? But in this case, the wheel needs to be reinvented because the initial one has a lot of gaps, issues, and errors. And this is the whole reason why we have this huge boom of diversity that all these companies are jumping on board because we're all seeing and we're all acknowledging that there are issues there. So the fact that this gets moved forward, completely disregarding this past two three year movement, it's it's a little it's you know a little it's very upsetting.
0: Yeah, there's some there's some tech like Korea. I mean, not to it is like sponsored by Korea, but I'm, I'm a huge fan. Myself and Daisy use it on a daily basis. This actually came up today. I was going to get Hannah's thoughts, but we're thinking about opening a clinic in San Luis, Arizona, which is 30 minutes away from us, literally on the border. Like, you can throw a rock to the border. And uh, CREO, one of our PIs, is in Yuma. But there's a nurse practitioner in San Luis, and he can have oversight because of CREO. Like, he doesn't have to leave his desk. So that's an example of a technology that is increasing access, but it's not something you think about. And we didn't necessarily need guidance for this from the FDA, like it's just source documents. So these are like other tech vendors out here trying to make money or raise investment capital, but they're not even getting the input of the community that they're supposedly trying to serve. Sound like they're just serving themselves. What do you think about this, Hannah?
6: Um, you know, I agree, you know, I think it's great to have these technologies that enable sites to do remote remote monitoring visits and go to other places to complete those visits. You know, like you mentioned, CREO has eConsent. consent um, We have a remote version of eConsent. so we're creating other opportunities for sites to achieve these goals, right? Um, with the FDA guidelines, you know, I was reading through both of those documents and From my understanding, it kind of sounded like the FDA is providing all of these outlines and recommendations and guidelines for sponsors and sites um, to follow. But from my understanding, you know, when I was reading all of the comments and and the responses from other sponsors, other sites, other organizations, there was kind of a lot of pushback in the sense of on the sponsor side, it's like they were looking for more uh, examples of exactly what the FDA wants, but the site is more looking for, you know, looking for representation in those sites um, in the staff at the site, right? So um, making sure that they're gaining the trust of their uh, physicians so that they can then get gain the trust of, of their patients and their subjects. That's what's going to allow them to enroll higher, uh, you know diverse patient numbers in those studies. So with these technologies, Like Creo, we also enable sponsors to see successful sites having those high diverse enrollment numbers in their studies, right? We can provide reports showcasing those successful sites and sites who do do this successfully, they're going to be setting that standard and that that bar saying, you know, look, we successfully enrolled all of these diverse patients. We did X, Y, and Z to get there. And now we're using, you know, platforms like Creo to help showcase that success.
0: Um, Jasmine, what do you think from a career perspective? Because Black Women in Clinical Research really is focused around increasing access as, as career option. Do you think that's a strategy for ultimately increasing study participation amongst patients?
5: Can you repeat the last part of the question? I wasn't following the last part.
0: Yeah, like, do you got, do you think that if more people work in research from a minority backgrounds, that it's easier to get more patients from those same backgrounds in the studies?
5: I don't think it's necessarily easier, but I do think it helps and makes a difference um, to know, like, when you go into an office or a hospital and, you know, the physician is talking about a tribe, but you see someone that looks like you that's working, that will be working with you. I think it does make a difference and also provides a bit of just comfort knowing that you're not alone. It's not just The average, like Caucasian male, just taking your samples and running away with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, or doing the consent, like persuading someone to do a study. Uh, That's no easy feat, regardless of background and whether Mm -hmm. the same background or not.
1: Yeah, I think it's the same thing goes for Latinos as well, especially the language, right? Um, When you hear about when somebody comes in and they're bilingual, but they're more predominantly speaking Spanish. Some people prefer speaking Spanish even though they can speak English, right? Um, and so I think those things are very, very important. Having the representation um, on all ends for all minorities is, is a big importance.
5: I think also um, just having that representation, you're, they're able to connect with that patient on a different level, on like a community level because they were mm-hmm. one thing, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. I think that makes a big difference as well.
6: Mm-hmm. I actually pulled a quote. So one of the responses to the 2022 FDA guidelines that was uh, presented, I pulled a quote from one of the responses that I thought speaks volumes to this. The quote says, the level of effort to diversify enrollment must be matched by the level of effort to include more principal investigators that originate from diverse racial and ethnic communities. So that ties into exactly what we're saying, right? You know, having more diverse principal investigators involved in these trials is going to help gain the trust of all of those other communities. That way you can reach those numbers and you are being more personal in that sense, right? It's not just, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just about the money. It's not just about meeting those numbers. You want to make a difference in those patients' lives. So you want to be able to connect with them on a personal level.
3: Yeah, and, and then also the staff members in the, in the clinics, because if even if the principal investigator, let's say, speaks Spanish, but then nobody else does it, it, might, it makes it a, a little difficult it has to be at least the principal investigator and the study coordinator. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the case of, uh, let's say, the mental health, if the principal investigator is not a rater, then Mm -hmm. we're going to need also a rater that speaks Spanish. So the whole team has to reflect that community that they are serving or that they are trying to to bring into the uh, study.
4: Yeah, and I want to add to that. So it's not just that we want to recruit them, but you have to understand you're, in a sense, have this relationship with these people that are coming into your office from the beginning, from the time you pre-screen them to the time they come into the office, whatever language it is that you speak, they have to be comfortable enough to answer the questions that you have for them, which are very personal questions. They have to want to, you know, any questions you ask, be open to giving you that history background and the fact that they can communicate back and forth, um, and be able to do that with the various staff at the office—if not, you're not getting the information you need. They're not going to do what they need to do in a clinical trial, and then that's going to affect our retention and so on and so on. Um, so it's it's a bunch of factors, right? You need to consider. It's not just um, being, you know, having that presence and having certain things in the language. It's a whole other thing when you're actually working with them, talking to them. And the fact that they feel comfortable, they can reach out to you if they're not feeling well. Maybe they're having an AE. You know, get them in the office right away. Things like that. Um, and if you don't have that, that they're not comfortable, then you're going to be missing out on a lot of information you should be collecting during the process of the, their participation in a trial.
0: From we could get into Monica's site audit at a few. We had a story from our office, though, like I want to get into some of the differences between patient groups, Um, maybe like, for example, Hispanics. We had an issue at our site, Daisy, you want to share like sometimes there's like cultural nuances uh, so you can't treat all patients the same. And this is where it helps to have a, a diverse workforce in place and i'll get into another story of one of my PIs. actually two of my pis and two cras it's very interesting story but if you want to share this daisy real quick
2: um yeah pretty much um we've definitely experienced um differences in cultures here in in this side in yuma clinical trials um there's a lot of latinos here so uh I've definitely noticed that that difference. Um, you know, we tend to be more uh, involved or having our family involved uh, in all of our decisions and in and, and everything, right, in a lot of things. So um, it, it can be kind of difficult to know how to navigate that when we have a, a patient here, a subject here, and, you know, we tell them about the study, um, everything that it, the study involves and, um, you know, they might get cold feet. They might say, you know what, let me talk to my sister. Let me talk to my mom. Let me talk to my dad. And, um, you know, it's a it's a pretty difficult um, and obviously underserved community. Um, they might find, uh, you know, reasons from their religion, like, you know, this doesn't sound like it's a good thing, you know, so um, it's kind of difficult. And, um it, it's of course good to have a more diverse workforce like Dan said i think that really helps
0: it's helpful and also from the cra so we have we actually have 3 pi's right now it's uh there's a caucasian we have an african american he's a dermatologist and we have an indian american and it was funny because i never really noticed these things but we've had There's a lot of diverse CRAs, right? Like CRA, I think that's one of the careers where there is some diversity and like there's been improvements maybe because of groups like black women in research, Latinos in clinical research, like we've been getting the word out. They have been hiring more diverse candidates there. It's just interesting, like observing when we had African-American CRA come meet our PI. She wasn't expecting an African-American PI. His name is Dr. Harris. So it could be anything, right? When she saw him, I saw her face change. Like, wow, like there's someone else that looks like me that's a PI. Like you can tell she was just used to seeing the same kind of face over and over. Same thing with our Indian. We have we have an Indian psychiatrist who's a PI. We had an Indian. Um, it wasn't a CRA, but it was a guy who came to set up the tech. And it, it's for a study. And he was like, is a Lurie Indian? And, he, and he's like, hey. I know he left, but can you FaceTime him real quick? Like, I want to just talk to him. So I put him on the phone. They get the FaceTime. That's where I saw, like, it does matter. We think, hey, it doesn't really matter. It does matter a little bit. It's not as dramatic as having a patient, uh, but it was still something that I think is a good thing to come out of all this.
3: Yeah, we experienced something similar, then because uh, uh, my PI is – um, a Persian, and he speaks Farsi, but he also speaks Spanish and Vietnamese,
5: <laughs> ah. and people
3: don't know that, right, so uh, one day, um, one patient, uh, she was getting uh, her rating skills in, uh, in English, but then he noticed that she was having some trouble with the communication, and then he said, do you want me to explain you this also in Farsi? And, and she was very surprised and she really liked it. Uh, but obviously, we, we, we went back to the sponsor and asked them if there were a, a possibility to do that specific rating scale in Farsi. And unfortunately, that was not the case, right? Um, but uh, that makes such a big difference when it comes to the patients because uh, obviously, even if you speak fluent English, uh when it comes to men to to your uh health uh, speaking in your uh mother language makes you more comfortable and probably uh, and obviously more fluent of expressing everything you really feel so um and uh, i think at, uh, until you experience that you're not going to really understand the importance of it or until you see it and and that's probably the case with many organizations uh, because they don't they don't get to taste this firsthand, and and that's that's the that's the thing with the sites the sites experience that firsthand, and obviously the CRA's too because the CRA's are very connected to the sites and understand that quite well.
0: I agree. How did your site audit go that you had recently?
3: Uh, and you we had, to get some... It went amazing. <laughs> it went really, do you really, use Creo? really well.
0: Real. I'll put you on the spot. Do you use Creo?
3: I have used it in the past. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I have used it in the past. I know Do how you use works. eSource or
0: just paper right now?
3: Uh, we we, we switched to eSource now. Mm.
0: Yeah. And what do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously it makes it easier because... Uh, uh, it, it makes it easier for many factors like for example to in the case that you receive let's say laboratories right now and the principal investigator is not available but they but you suspect there is something uh, uh, out of the range that is that that, that could be potentially uh, an adverse event and you want to see the, the, the principal investigator to see it right away that's a great way to do it and then they get to also i mean review it and and declare it's cna ncs or or cs right so uh in those situations i think is is i mean in and, and every situation because if you talk about also a dash c uh there is nothing better than uh than the electronic services to to keep this in this spot in the in line right so Um, I like it, it's it's, it's a transition, it can be sometimes uh, painful because obviously uh, you're used to one thing and then transferring everything to a a new technology, Um, but that's the case with everything, right, Uh, that that the transition is always, um, it can be always difficult, but once you uh, complete the whole transition, then you start seeing all the, the, the benefits of it.
0: I wanted to get Ashley and Jasmine's take on career development as a minority. Um, is it easy, is it difficult. What have been your experiences? And then we'll get to Judy on what tools Judy uses and her experiences. So Ashley or Jasmine, you guys wanna you wanna discuss career you development first, climbing <laughs> the ladder. What uh, do you because we have a comment here, so let me lighten the mood with a comment, okay? this is Patty Mendoza. She audits sites and audits like for sponsors. She's a super experienced. She says she still gets stopped in hotels when auditing that like the people are asking her, do you work here? Or do you speak English? So like, do you, do you guys experience things like this? Like trying to climb the career ladder? Like, uh, can you give us like some personal experiences of, of this, of your journey?
5: Do you want to go first, Ashley? <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, So uh, climbing the ladder, well, I will say, um, I don't know if this is the correct terminology to use, but um, most people think I am Caucasian, which I'm not. I'm hundred percent Latina. Um, My family's from Nueva León, which is very common that people have colored eyes and straight hair and white complexion. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's a change when you start speaking Spanish or, you know, when you, they, they know that, or if they're Latino and they know you you know you speak Spanish, immediately that uh, connection happens. Uh, unfortunately, I don't speak great fluent Spanish. <laughs> um, I have that generation of my family that kind of got cut off a little bit. But yeah, so um, does, ha, does it help? Has it helped? I mean, I, I'm not going to say I've gotten um, favoritism for it, obviously. I just, I think what has helped is that when I've you know gone through the process of interviewing and when I've spoken, um, I'm very clear on on the importance of diversity to me, why I'm involved in things outside of the industry and why I feel what, uh, it's important for an individual with my background, as not just as a Latina, but as a female, um, why they should be putting me on their team, right? So um, all those kinds of things I do speak on, which I think every person with a background, minority background and regardless whether you're female, male, uh, or the LGBTQ community. Um, I do think that, um, you being an advocate for yourself is extremely important in order for you to move forward in the industry. Um, and there are more people like us that are needed, but, uh, as far as moving up, I've found it quite easy. I mean, Dan, i mean, most of you here, you know, my story, it kind of just jumped in and have been moving up quite quickly ever since. Uh, but I will say that a lot of that has to do with my, my, my work ethic, right? But um, I think that it's doable for anybody so long as you work hard and you advocate for yourself.
0: Jasmine?
5: Um, I agree with Ashley, um, especially on the advocating part. Um, it's important in interview, interview interviews to um, make it clear, like, what you represent, what you stand for, and also kind of, like, what you don't tolerate either, being a minority. So I think that's important. Um, as far as, like, moving up, I think once you're in, it's an easier transition. It's just the getting in part that's terrible. Like for everybody, it seems like. Yeah. I and mean, wasn't, I can say back then, because I joined the clinical research industry in January of 2020, it wasn't as hard and as competitive as it is like right now, but it was still tough just like trying to network Land the first role, interview throughout what you need to know, what you don't need to know because you don't want to like chill to an interview not knowing anything but you also you want to know something. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the landing of the first role is I would say is the hardest part but once you're in it's it's almost smooth selling to a degree. You still have mm-hmm. to work for it and network and give it your all but once you're in it's you're in.
3: yeah yeah I, I would like to add something to that then. Yeah, um, I um, one thing that could make a difference is if you have an accent like I do, <laughs> that can actually uh, be is a is a double sword um, knife because it can go really well because they, they say, oh, she has a very cute accent or it can go to the opposite. And they say, well, um, I'm not sure if her English is good enough to be competitive in this specific job, or if she's gonna be or he's gonna be as good as uh, somebody that speak fluent. I mean, not, not fluent without accent. Mm-hmm. So in my case, has been both. The majority of the time, I've been um uh, very um lucky because like uh, Judy like uh, Ashley and Jasmine were saying, I was advocating a lot for myself, but um. But that can be something that can be uh, holding uh, some people, preventing them to achieve better opportunities. And, and I will say this uh, for a lot of the IMGs that are incredibly smart. They have a really incredible background. They are already doctors. It doesn't matter where they graduated from, if it's in China or if it's in South America, they're still doctors, right? and 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 because sometimes because they have accents uh they probably get the the door closed even before they can start it so i think the industry needs to think about this too because as it is we we still have shortage especially for example at the sites we have a lot a lot of shortage of uh, crcs and and uh, and uh, and this 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 can prevent people from entering to the industry if if not given an opportunity. And then on the other hand, uh, this is um, brains that we really need in the industry too. So it's something that we should be thinking about, Uh, uh, not to mention that the majority of the time, even though that we have shortage, there's still a lot of jobs that are supposed to be entry level requiring two years experience. And obviously, where are they going to get those two years experience if nobody gives them opportunities? Mm
6: -hmm.
0: These are really good points. I think one of the complaints we hear a lot and as a Caucasian male, I mean, I don't think about too much. But (laughs) when I talk about, okay, well, the workforce is getting more diverse, people tell me, yeah, but at a certain level, it just becomes white males. <laughs> so I'm guessing the group that wrote the FDA guidance for a DCT, I don't know if there was female representation. Hannah, do you know anything about this? Who wrote this thing?
6: Sorry, I couldn't find my mute button. I do not know the exact people who wrote that actually. <laughs> I we're trying
0: to find one. it, we're trying to find it.
6: Is there, is there a way to find out? I mean, shouldn't that be made public?
0: Because bonus points for. Can I
6: agree with that. I think it should be made public. It doesn't. I mean, it wouldn't say because you
0: know. it's the. It would be officially re- drafted by the FDA, but somebody, like worked. There was a group outside the FDA that worked with them, mm-hmm. to get it drafted.
1: I would like you. to know who that is. <laughs> I would like to know.
0: Look at yeah. the C suite. Well, anyway, that's a topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Maybe bonus. Extra credit for a CRC Academy student that can figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Tell Evelyn, uh, Daisy, Evelyn, if she's still there behind you, she's in the new class. If she's still there, that's her homework.
2: (laughs) She left already.
0: Oh, she left already. Uh, Accent, this is Robert Goldman. Accent, as enumerated by Monica, Quitiva is a great mountain to climb. Uh, Someone else said, FDA is super diverse, especially the project teams assigned to INDs yeah they're super diverse Mm -hmm. but like at the decision making level is the complaints i get too because when i look at my cras judy monica daisy you guys work at sites jasmine you work at a zero like it's pretty diverse the workforce Mm -hmm. but the complaints i get like the pushback i get when i bring this up is yeah but go higher up like go to the people that you don't hear from that's the ones where like change is not happening and maybe that's the real reason why we're not seeing the change on the uh, guidance and things like that. I don't. know.
3: I, I hear that from a from a very popular CRA that we interview one day too. <laughs> she has a PhD and she was trying to climb farther, but she couldn't. In some point, she was like she hit the the top of uh, in her um, ladder ratio. Right?
0: So, Do you think yeah, that's gonna change?
3: I, I think I, I think it, it's gonna change and I have seen it. This is gonna sound tough topic, but I have seen it even in the, in the movies. If you go right now to the movies and uh, and you see the newest, uh, let's say, um, uh, superhero movies. Now they are introducing more African Americans, more Hispanics in the in the, as as the superheroes too, right? So I think naturally everything is. Hollywood has an impact in everything. So I think it's going to have an impact in the rest of the industries. I was surprised. Um, I saw Flash this weekend and the this, this superwoman is Colombian. <laughs> then, uh, then I saw, saw um, uh, um, what's the name of this? Um, well another movie superheroes and then the two main characters one is hispanic and the other one is african-american so i was thinking
0: spider versus uh, Patty. It's,
3: yeah exactly so it's, it's it's showing that there so naturally everything is going to be start doing it because it's the community that is out there it's not something that we just it's not just a trend it's the reality out there the the communities are. Just turning even more diverse. In in some point, everybody in their family is gonna have one member uh, that is from either or these communities. So this needs to be reflected out there. So
1: I think um, I think there's been change. I mean, from what I've seen, um, when it comes to like um, the new departments that they're making for diversity, right? I mean, they're bringing on diversity heads that are different. Um, which which is great, right? But I I would like to see like you know the. But clinic. what are
0: they doing? Like. What well, are that's they
1: the doing? thing. That's the thing. Like you know, obviously, unless you're in that role, you really don't know to what extent. Um, <laughs> I mean, there there is one company. I mean, I'm not going to say the name, but we've worked along with them and, and they are doing amazing, amazing work. So I do feel that there is exceptions to some companies that are yeah, actually. Yeah, I know
0: who, yeah. I know yeah,
1: who. I, I do there. do think there's exceptions to where, you know, it's not just a, them having a department that shows diversity. It's they're actually like walking the talk. In their case, they're running it, right? They're really doing amazing things very fast. But for the most part, um, a bunch of other companies, um, zero sponsors. We haven't, I haven't seen anything in on the, the clinops leaders, and even <laughs> further than that, I haven't seen any change. It's just within that space of, oh, well, this is our new diversity leader. It's okay, great, but to what extent are you allowing that person? To what
0: extent? Yeah, it kind of yeah, echoes that the, person
1: in, right? I mean, it kind
0: of echoes the DCT stuff. Like, you know, the purpose is at least on the surface, like. Let's increase access to clinical trials. Judy, I know you're very passionate about this. So we got to get your thoughts on this. And then Hannah as well. Do you think technology, not could, because we know it could, but do you think it will play a role in increased access for minority groups? And the Jasmine also, maybe. Um,
4: really so I don't. I mean, that's a very broad question, so I'm not (laughs) sure exactly, like, how it's increasing. Is it possible?
0: Is it possible? Well,
4: how exactly is it going to increase more minority participation in clinical research if the site, those involved in the study, aren't making an effort to target that patient population and recruit and actually have all that in place to be able to work with those patients? So maybe the technology could exist, but if you don't have everything else in place, then you're not going to get those minority patients. So... I don't know. I mean, I guess in a sense, if you're talking about like recruitment agencies or something like that, where they're targeting minority patients, pre screening them, getting, you know, anything. Possibly, I haven't seen it yet. 16 years working in a Latino community. <laughs> I have yet to work with a central recruitment campaign or vendor that knows how to recruit Latino patients yet. And that's a question I have for every single one when I do talk to them. Um, if there is one, I haven't worked with them. Um, they can't even answer that question when I do ask, how successful are they with re- recruiting Latino patients? They don't have data on that or the ones I've spoke to don't have data. So I'm not sure, um, I can't really answer that. But I think there is technology that can assist with that as long as all the other things are in place.
6: I completely agree, Judy. I think technology does exist to assist with this, but it is, it's a group effort, right? It's not just gonna be one tech vendor. It's not, you know, it's not just one tech vendor that's gonna solve the whole overarching issue. It's a group effort between the FDA, the sponsor, the site and the vendor, right? Everyone needs to be coming together to reach that end goal right at Creo we have all of these reports and we have a recruiting module where you can sort through your patient database to find different patients from different backgrounds in different locations and all of all of the things right but again at the end of the day it comes down to one the FDA providing the clarity to the sponsors to then write the protocols to then tell the sites you know those groups that need to be included in the trials and how they can achieve getting those groups included in those trials technology is there but we need to have you know the sites the sponsors the fda all all parties involved working together as one versus fighting and combating each other to try to get to the top it's never going to work that way everyone needs to kind of come together and and you know move as one force rather than everybody trying to do so many different things at once
0: jasmine anything from cro side as far as tools helping sites recruit minorities better effectively i guess
5: um again i think the technology is a good start but it it isn't the end all be all we still have to get out there and like show our faces and actually build relationships to say oh we have like i don't know like maybe we'll get on tiktok and do something and that brings someone in but that can not be the like end all be all we still have to build the relationship and continue the relationship and know like the guidance from the fda the sponsor and at the site level are all on the same page because I mean, I can't just say, oh, we need to recruit this population. This is how we do it. But the sponsor says something completely different. So having all of us in the same alignment definitely helps.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we have Patty says sites need to speak up too. Yes. We have SOS conference, com. It's going to, this is what we're going to do. I was going to say, why don't sites have a voice in passing or drafting FDA guidance recommendations? Um, right. Same thing with minority groups, yep. like
3: 100% <laughs> then, because, because at the end of the day, uh, we are the ones that are in contact with those patients. Mm-hmm. We know how things mm-hmm. uh, work, what works, what doesn't. Right. Um, obviously, having that, that human interaction is still important, even though the technology, right? So
0: and, and oftentimes, it's the low-tech stuff that works. Like me and Daisy, Judy, Monarchy, we all work at site. Sometimes it's something simple, like get the patient something to drink if they just had, or if they're going to have a blood draw, like how low tech is bringing them some water or like bringing them a sandwich if they've or been simple, fasting.
4: A simple text message, right? A simple text message to back and forth. That's easy to do. Um, that helps a lot. Um, but actually I wanted to, to talk about what Monica said is that it doesn't matter what technology, what vendors are out there. If the, the thing that brings a patient into the office is a human person. It's a human person reaching out to all these referrals or in the community or whatever, getting that patient to come into the office. They're having this conversation, whether it's in person or over the phone. So we can throw all the tech you want at the sites and all these facilities, but if you don't have the staff that are maximizing that tech the way it's supposed to be following up pre-screening, then you're not going to get those patients in. So if you're missing that component or there's like gaps in that areas, then all that tech is not going to help because if you're not doing what you need to do at the site with the sponsors, vendors. Um, So that's something we need to consider too, is that it still takes a human to use all this tech to talk to the patient, to get them to the site.
0: Well, this comment from Michael maybe helps. There's no technology. We have to start by going out to the communities, churches, barbershops, tell them what the trials are. Tell them what cancer, or other diseases are. It's setting up boots at fairs, simple awareness. I, I agree, but I know sites, Judy, Monica, Daisy. We know sites that are afraid because we consult well, for a lot of sites. They ask us, is it okay? Do we need IRB approval to go to a church and talk about studies? Um, and we never get guidance on that. Like if you were to ask your IRB, they would say, Well, it depends what material you take there and you're never gonna get a straight answer. So you're kinda like left to figure it out on your own, based on your community. And but we get guidance for all kinds of other crazy stuff. And we don't get guidance for what can we put on our website? Is it okay if we put this? I know mm-hmm. I've been afraid to post things on our Yuma Clinical Trials Instagram because I mean, it's technically, we don't have IRB approval for this, but it's general advertising for us. It's not study specific. But if you ask an IRB, they're going to say no. But if you ask the right persons, can say, yeah, don't worry about it. So I mean, we don't have guidance.
4: But if it's already listed on clinicaltrials.gov, it's already listed on a website. They have, that's all the information you can share. You don't have to get IRB approval for that. So if right. it's publicly out there.
1: And that, there's, there's so much gray
0: area, though. Yeah, like, and
1: that's what I mean about, you know, they want to go full force with technology, but yet some of the most basic things to help run the site more efficiently or the trial run more efficiently, such as that, I mean, we should already be having those things cleared, right? We should already have, there should already be clarification, very specific clarification. And if there isn't, for whatever reason, that there might be a different scenario for one particular site, get immediate clarification for that site. Um, I don't, I've never understood why if everybody's so goal, fo- goal focused to get the patients, get the trial going, get it running, why is it so hard to get the sites what they need to make sure that that happens as fast as the sponsors and CROs are wanting, right? I That's where I can't wrap my head around because, I mean, it's not like either side is not wanting to move forward. So who's holding that back, right? That's, I've never it's one of the things
3: that I get upset about with the industry. I totally. I mean, I am sure everybody here uh, that work at this site uh, agree with that with the, with those uh, words that you just say. Actually, because many times we have a lot of things that we want to do and we have a lot of ideas, but we have our hands tied because of this. Um, uh, maybe the the sponsor promised that they were they are going to be supporting, but then at the end of the day, when we come to with all these ideas to bring more patients, they, no, we, we already took care of that. But what are the results, <laughs> right? So uh, I'm sure uh, Danan and Yuri will will also agree with this uh, when it comes to when they say that they have central campaign. I haven't I have never seen a central campaign working.
0: I got one. Me yeah. and Daisy know one that, that does
3: works? work. Oh, wow. We got
0: one that works. <laughs> they don't work for sites though. They we can't afford them. What, We're just what PMs, condition? But what condition? Good. Osteoarthritis of the knee. Hmm. Very tough study too. Then it oh. works.
3: Wow. Well, well, only
0: one. One in eighteen <laughs> years. That's that's. <laughs> That's a big like uh gap between one that worked and the other ones that did not work. But yeah, I get I understand what you guys are saying. Uh yeah, it's just things like this. We need to have more conversations about um I think, you know, and the, um simple things like texting. I know that's a slam dunk or a layup for Creo. They have a texting built into the Creo. You can text patients through their shimless plug for Creo. Um, Judy, you use eSource, eREC, I forgot to ask you.
4: Yes, yes. So I use a different vendor, who I won't mention, but um, we implemented electronic regulatory several years ago, way before COVID, and then we transitioned to eSource December 2020, so the year of COVID. Um, And it's been extremely helpful, you know, we can cut back on the paper we're using. It's uh, web-based, so anybody can access it throughout the office. Uh, we're actually in the process of working with other doctors at their clinics, and we can set them up with our system. If they want to refer patients within our system, um, or if they end up working as a sub and they're going to be doing certain things for visits, it's easy for them to use eSource. So I think that I want to say out of all the technologies, I do have to say like these clinical trial management systems that have like eSource, eReg, whatever they're called. Um, I know ours is CTMS and has that incorporated. Have probably been the most effective thing for sites out of all the technologies because it allows us to do more and cut back on other things, but then also be able to grow, expand, or whatever model or whatever you have in place for your site. Right? There's a lot of people with various sites, various investigators, various locations. Um, so I think, in my personal opinion, that's been the most effective for us.
3: Yeah. What right. I did. What, what one thing that I like a lot about the the E-technology for for sites is uh, the with the regulatory that you can set the alarms so everybody knows when to when their their documents or their um, licensing or certificates mm-hmm. are going to expire because that's such an important part right uh, uh, like for example you don't want your PI to have an um an expiry. GCP right <laughs> uh, so so that those little details are so important and are part of this technology that help you uh, tackle this and make sure making sure that the CRC and the or the regulatory specialists at the site and the PI know when exactly that's gonna expire and and you get to set an alarm let's say two weeks before the expiration date so you have a whole two weeks to to make sure that happens.
0: Me and Daisy set those alarms. We're going to go around and give everyone like a plug for their brands and things like that. But Daisy, they're going to kick you out in like 30 seconds. But uh, what have been your experiences with Creo as a daily user?
2: I mean, I really like it. Um, I was used to other types of uh, eSource, which were also great, um, like RedCap. Um, but it does not compare. It does not compare. Creo is very intuitive um it's just very easy to use and i'm not i'm i'm like talking like if i'm getting paid for this i'm totally not we only done. paid a little bit <laughs> on the table. Well, yeah, but on. i know it's great i really enjoy it and i would like totally recommend <laughs> it to sites it's, it's awesome
6: thank you thank you daisy
0: cool daisy any plugs you got going on just follow daisy everybody don't try to steal her from us. Right? Don't try to poach her. Grab critters. Oh, <laughs> her LinkedIn will be underneath. Uh, uh, let's go around.
2: I'm going to cut
0: off. Yeah, head they're going to kick you out of there soon. <laughs> yeah. I know how they are. Thanks for Five o'clock, me. they got to go over there. Jasmine, <laughs> you got any uh, upcoming things for Black Women and Clinker Research or yourself personally or any way people can reach out to you?
5: Um, You guys can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always up there, like always. (laughs) But um, Black Women in Clinical Research is having our first conference in um, October of this year in Durham, North Carolina, at the North Carolina Biotech. Um, If interested, um, I can send you the link or I'm pretty sure I'll post it again this week. Um, if you have any questions, um, just let me know. It's going to be really fun. Um, interviews on the spot. Great connections. Great. Um,
0: interviews on the spot. Wow. Good thing Daisy left. Go again. I can't have her go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mock interviews. That's actually a really good idea to do. Yeah. Like, or like they're real interviews.
5: Yeah. We have some sponsors coming. Um, wow. You know, interviewing on the spot. So if you're looking for a job, this is the perfect time to network. And also, you know. Hopefully, land that job and meet other people in the industry as well.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Uh, LICR. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, we have SOS, CRC. Well, let's go to Ashley. You do SOS. L-I-C-R. Judy will do Latinos and research and uh, For sure. her side, and Monica, the CRC. Research.
1: So, uh, Save Our Sites Conference will be not until February of 2024 let's say maybe about four or five yes. months after a Black Women Clinical Research Conference. Uh, but this is not just for sites, obviously for all professionals. Um, and please, um, you know, come follow our podcasts. If you haven't already uh, followed us, Save Our Sites Conference, we have one every month. The next one is July 7th. Um, and let me get that time for you. I want to make sure we have the exact time. Four p.m. Yeah, We have
0: a podcast? Uh, yes. Let
1: me see. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we have it at 1 p.m. Central, 11 a.m. PST
6: wow, on nice. July
1: 7th. So we meet up every month to talk about very um, common issues that sites deal with, but just in general, hot topics. And from there, we do the breakdown. And ultimately, every month, when it comes to October and November, we're going to be utilizing all those topics to figure out what we will be speaking at, at that conference. We don't want it. To be defined by our group, we want it to be fi- defined by everybody outside in the community because that's where it's at. So, I think
0: the way that conf- the reason why that conference and why Black Women Clinical Research Conference are going to be successful is the leadership is serious about the mission and not just monetizing uh, up to your eyeballs with a- <laughs> <a> fees, <feast. laughs> like the current conference going on now, by the way, which very few sites are at, I must mm-hmm. add um so yeah that's one of the reasons why like we're actually not doing this there's a bigger reason than just hey let's monetize something uh so yeah thank you for that both ashley and jasmine judy any plugs sun valley research um
4: yeah i can do latinos and clinical research first we have our monthly webinar coming up tomorrow wednesday the 28th 4 p.m pst with dr Had- Hadi Danawi. he's the mm-hmm. owner founder and ceo of UPI Consultants Incorporated, but he's also, and please help me with this, um, Monica and Ashley. He's also the co-founder founder of?
1: Founder, I think.
4: Around a Board yeah. a board of Clinical Research. So please, hopefully you can join us. And for Sun Valley Research Center, if anybody's looking for Latino patients, we're expanding and growing into other areas. So please reach out to me.
0: That's right. Monica, CRC. So One I'm of your gonna, proud alumni so, just left, Daisy.
3: Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about the, the university as a whole. We have ah, okay. many classes. We have the CRC Academy. We have the CRA Academy. We have data management on the making. And mm-hmm. uh, we also have the uh, clinician uh, Academy, the CTA Academy, uh, all of the classes are very comprehensive, very practical. And the most beautiful part of this is that you're just not getting the classes right. You're getting also our commitment to you. Um, the majority of our students, I will say at least 60 to 70 percent of our students are from diverse backgrounds. Uh, a lot of African-American and a lot of Hispanics in class. We have also a lot of European uh, students. So if you are looking for diversity, we have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, um, but uh, obviously, like I was mentioning before, uh, this, the majority of these students have an amazing background, but they truly need entry-level positions. Uh, so we should make the industry more um, open for these professionals that could that that could probably, um, I, I mean not probably, I'm sure uh, with all these pre- fresh perspectives, we can improve the industry in many different areas.
0: And clarity clinical research. Audit-proof. Um, Audit-proof. Uh,
3: yes. Clarity <laughs> <laughs> clinical research. Enough said. Uh, and yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, and uh, uh, we specialize in mental health and located in Los Angeles, just in a very diverse area, just like you did. And dance.
0: <laughs> uh, finally, last but not least, Hannah with Korea. Creo. Korea is amazing. I've been a fan since 2018.
6: Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, thank you all of you guys for having me on and for every guy, for everyone attending and everyone watching. Thank you guys so much. Um, Creo is going to be at the SRS confer- conference in October in Hollywood, Florida. Feel free to stop by our booths. We're all very friendly. We love to chat. Um, feel free to reach out to me over LinkedIn, Hannah Carney. And uh, yeah, thank you guys again. This was awesome. Like,
0: Austria. subscribe, comment, share, guys.
6: LICR October. will also be
3: there. <laughs>
1: Just so far.
0: Oh, we are? Okay, very yes. good. Thank you, guys, thank you guys for going.
3: <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Black Woman in Three Card is she's going to be there too, right?
0: Maybe Jasmine.
5: I know I, I won't be able to go, but
0: I think. Ah, so. dang.
3: Oh,
5: okay. Well, we'll see. Well, I'm sure we'll see you one of these conferences, Jasmine. Hopefully, like Dan said, the conference prices are. guys. Yeah.
0: Don't get me started, guys. <laughs> this is a nice panel.
4: <laughs>
0: Peaceful. Yeah. Like, subscribe, comment, share, guys. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. Thank you. Bye.